And the Oscar for Best Extra in a Featured Film goes to Nivek Sukumar in The Emoji Movie. Wow, wow, amazing, wow. First off, fuck Mel Gibson, he's a certified hoe, Yakubian devils, let him live after that. But for real though, you know I put so much work into the Emoji movie. When when I was auditioning for that role, I just, I reached into my soul. I I really thought in my mind, and I portrayed what I, I thought was an excellent performance, and I was right. I got the Oscar I won. I'm going for the EGOT. What? You guys are really playing me after 10 seconds. Me. I'm the first. Okay, first of all, this is going to be the last time I'm ever up on anything. Because you know they're going to, what? those people aren't going to let me live. Let me get another role. After I killed that extra spot in the Emoji movie. Huh? What? Whoa. Also, big shout out to Scarborough. You know, uh, that block raised me. Do you know how hard it is to be an extra in an animated film? Do you know how many times they told me, Nivea, you can't be a human extra in an animated film? I was like, fuck that. I'm going to be new. I'm going to change the game up. I'm going to be the first extra in not only the best animated film, better than Toy Story 3, better than Shrek 6. This is the emoji movie. What do you use on your phone? Got emojis. And who was in the movie in the background just walking nonchalantly like a regular person in an animated film? Me, baby. So this is why... I got this award, this well-deserved award. So I'm trying to do some new films soon. So anybody hit up my agent, aka me, Nivek at Hotmail.com. Hit me up if you want me to walk in your roles. Better yet, support or even star in your films. <laughs> hit me up at my phone number at... Please hit the boy. E-transfer is also accepted. Yo, what's going on, everyone? This is episode 40 of High Top Flip Flops. It's Krish. Hey, it's Nivek. Uh, we're here, man. Episode 40. We friggin' made it. There's some crazy shit right now. Nivek and I went and saw Jesus and Mero with a few of our friends uh, like late last year. Do you remember when? Like November or some shit? It's definitely yeah, October, November. Do you remember? Do you remember what they were saying when someone in the someone in the audience came up to them and was like, uh, you know, hey, I'm starting this podcast. They like went up there and they're like, oh, will you be on my podcast? Which I thought was <laughs> it was bold, but uh, it also made me cringe a little bit. Regardless, they were like, you know what, you know what's something that you got to work on. And um, was it Mero who was like, oh, you got to make it to thirty episodes at least. Jesus, yeah. It was Jesus said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and here we are, forty. Overachieving, four zero. Even though we're, we're they, really underachievers at heart, you know. You know what they always say: once you do forty hours of episodes of anything, you've mastered it. So oh, it's four. It's just forty. It's forty hours. You you probably heard ten thousand, right? Yeah. That's a lie. Okay. So, for example, like I've tackled a lot of things in my life, like driving. Forty hours of driving, excellent. How many crashes have I been in? Only one. Was that my fault? No, I just fell asleep at the wheel. So technically it's not my fault. It's my brain's fault. True. Um, what else have I mastered in 40 hours? What about all those uh, parking tickets? I guess those don't really count as like 
improper driving. Technically, that's not my fault. That's the, the street signs and the cops' fault. The cops have issues to a point where they got to feel like, you know what, I want to ruin this person's day. I want them to shell extra. Instead of them buying another pair of vans for themselves, or, nah, pay this 60 bucks to the government. For no reason, really. No reason at all. No reason. Let's just make them suffer a little bit because that's what the cops do. You know, this one time, this is a great story. Uh, this one time, Naveek, myself, and a few others went to go eat uh, pizza. And <laughs> Naveek literally <laughs> decided to park his car where there was a giant X marked over there. <laughs> and eventually some guy pulled up two seconds later and was like, hey, you know you uh, can't park there. And Naveek looks down and he's like, oh, true. And then parks his car elsewhere. Um, I don't know if you remember this happening. But Damn, this <laughs> I don't remember that because it happens so many times. It actually happened not too long ago where I parked in a spot where I wasn't supposed to and a guy pulled up to me and was like, yeah, you're not supposed to park here. And I immediately did. Wow. See, you have people looking out for you to make. Um, just know that, okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> How have you been otherwise, though? You been okay? Yeah, I've been, I've been all right. But most importantly, you went to Cali. <laughs> Talk about the how much kush you smoked. Oh, my Talk God. Talk about how many celebs you kissed oh my goodness so let me tell you first thing hopped off you know hopped off the plane um it was not glamorous at all really it was very it was not glamorous whatsoever i flew into san francisco first and then took a seven hour bus trip to los angeles um yeah it was a very last minute trip and uh you know the pod is always on the mind so as soon as as soon as you know they kind of came into fruition um i thought you know let's see if we can go down there and interview some cool people uh, so I got down there and, um, yeah, on top of meeting, uh, a couple really, really great people who, um, we got to record with, there are three, two individuals and one group of people that was super, super sick to hang out with, um, all kind of from very different backgrounds. Um, and yeah, I guess on top of sitting down with them, um, yeah, I also got to see a little bit more of like the real side of LA, you know, like a lot of these, like um like neighborhoods or areas that are like very evidently like neglected by the government um in comparison to like other neighborhoods it's like wow there's so much money being pumped into this place and it's like two blocks away from like a very neglected neighborhood um so that was kind of cool to see um yeah but yeah honestly it was such a super such a short trip like i didn't do anything like wild you know like i didn't really see anything too crazy but um yeah, if anything, I'm just super excited about who we who we got to speak to and uh, super excited to share those episodes, um, one of which which we're doing today, um, which is pretty sweet. So this episode, we sit down with, or I got to sit down with um, a gentleman named Evan Arnold, who in essence is a, is a movie producer. Um, while he does a little bit more of the back end or more business side of movie production, um, he still kind of had like a pretty pretty unique story as to how he's ended up doing what he's doing uh and we thought this would be fun to share seeing that the oscars just passed this weekend uh did you watch the oscars Naveek? i actually did okay watch the oscars yeah talk did you to, watch talk it? to me i didn't on it generally speaking i've it's not like a boycott but i've just like not watched award shows um i kind of treat it like sporting events and just like look at the the like little ticker the next yeah. morning just to see who wins or whatever um uh, but talk to me about it man what do you like what didn't you like uh, late on, late on me. Uh, I mean, 
I thought it was okay. It was just too long. Like, so many awards. We really don't need to know best special sound effects in a feature You don't film. think so? Like, shout out to them, but there's so many of those, like... Um, do, you, do you think it should be, best. like, it should be, like, the Grammys where there are a lot of them that are, like, like, pre-award show where they're, like, off, you know, like, off-camera kind of deal? Yeah, and what was weird about the Grammys, they didn't show best rap album which is for yeah. so long which is so weird because they they showed a lot of awards mm-hmm. but not the most popular genre that's in the world. right um up until like now they do it though right yeah like 2016 or right. 17 they started which is also i guess i guess is also just like a marker of like them acknowledging that it's now in the forefront of popular culture um because yeah i guess I, I what i always remember is like um, I remember after finding out that Drake won a best rap album for Take Care, I remember like going on YouTube being like, yo, where's the acceptance speech or whatever? And there's nothing because it wasn't televised. It was like mm-hmm. a, a pre-award show thing. So yeah, maybe maybe they could start doing that for the Oscars or maybe they already do for like even like even more specific awards. I don't know. Yeah, no, they they actually do. They have Academy of Science and all that the night before. Oh, shit. Which is like for all the, the tech awards Damn. and all that. And yeah, there's a lot of fluff. I think the bits can be funnier. Um, yeah, what do you think of Jimmy Kimmel? Just like in general or like as a host or whatever. He's cool, but I think they should have mixed it up this year. Didn't you do it last year too? Yeah, last year as well. And I think it's because, you know, he's a talk show host, so he's seasoned. He, he would know how to do this. But I mean, you could easily mix it up and... Try some new comedians. Try. Yeah, man. I don't know if it's too early for Tiffany Haddish to host it. Oh man, yeah, she could but, go hard. Yeah, man. Like, I was, I, I would, I would even consider then, like, even next year, like, you could get like Issa Rae and, um, is her name Yvonne Orgy? Is that her yeah. name? Yeah. Mm. Um, as like a tandem, those those guys would be hilarious. Um, man, I'm saying like ten years from now, not even. We gotta get Eric Andre's. <laughs> so Eric Andre, yeah. shoot, he shows oh my next God. year. That would be that would just be horrendous. He would destroy everyone. Yeah, would destroy everyone. He would destroy the Oscars realistically, but it would be the best thing ever. Yeah, that's the thing. The Oscars is also known as this prestigious event. Like yeah. not anyone can just exactly. host it. So yeah, imagine imagine him on the inside, just like just tearing the walls down. You know, turning the Oscars into the Eric Andre show. That would be Perfect. fucking mint. Awards-wise, I mean, I don't agree with a lot of it. Like, Best Film, The Shape of Water, Over Get Out. I don't believe that. Um, also, there's a lot of talk about Best Actor, which was given to Gary Oldman, who portrayed Winston Churchill. And, you know, Winston Churchill, known for being extremely racist. People are like, why are they even nominate him, let alone win? Mm. Especially over daniel kaluuya yeah i think uh his, that's how you pronounce his last name and get out as well as um timothy chalamet wasn't bad in comedy even though i shat all over the movie <laughs> i thought the performance was decent right hey that's okay and, that's fair man that's you being objective and i guess people went in on gary oldman because a couple of years ago i think he beat up his wife damn and with the me too stuff people were like what's up there where's the consistency uh, i guess same thing with kobe bryant so i don't know I'm not 100% on the Kobe Bryant story, one that you know the incident we're talking about. Right. Um, the rape. But I think, I don't know if he was, he was not guilty. I'm not, see, this is when I'm not 100% sure if, you know, did he do it, did he not do mm. it? Because he could have been 100% innocent. Right. And we're just saying 
this because there was an accusation. And we know a lot of men have been accused and Gone it wasn't true it. at all. Right. Or so obviously, yeah. Maybe there's like a documentary about that or some more information I need to learn. But yeah, people went in on Kobe Bryant because he won as well. Yeah. For um, Yeah, that's right. And that's what everyone's saying too. It's just like, damn, Michael mm. Jordan has no, no Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but the it was for best animated short film, <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, like it's not garbage. It was very good. Yeah, um, yeah, I saw that, and yeah, it's kind of wild because Stanley Kubrick doesn't have one, <laughs> and Kobe Bryant does have that's, an Oscar. That is super wild. Yeah, damn. Um, but yeah, those that's my those are my two cents Critiques. on the yeah the fair Oscars. enough fair enough. Um, yeah, this this interview, I think a lot of what you mentioned is really good because this interview with Evan was a, kind of a good like insight as to one what it is to be like on the like the lesser known side of like a film production, uh, which is kind of what you said, you know, like to people like you and I, we might sit through like the first like forty five minutes to an hour of the Oscars, being like, all right, you know, makeup artist, mm, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, there are people who end up dedicating their lives to it, right? And it's like yeah. that one niche where it's just like that's that's all that kind of matters to him. Um, so Evan was amazing, kind of diving into that and and sharing a little bit about you know the grind time that you kind of go into, um, and he also shares his perspective about um, you know his or not necessarily his point of view, but um, what the kind of air is like uh, in the Los Angeles in the Hollywood area. Um, with like Me Too conversations, um, that was something I, I really wanted to ask him about. Like, you know, what are those conversations like? Um, and he shared some 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 really cool stuff, or just really cool work that he does. Um, to not give away too much, you know, he, he does a lot of cool work in terms of giving more spotlight to uh, just like women directors in general, um, uh, along with a, a bunch of other things, which I'm sure you'll hear in this interview. Um, but yeah, I guess that's that's us setting this one up. Hope you enjoy it. It's episode 40 with Evan Arnold. What's going on, everyone? This is Chris, a.k.a. Chris, a.k.a. not Chris. Don't call me Chris. A.k.a. the Tomo Hemingway, a.k.a. Mr. Date Girl with you, a.k.a. Bash me outside because I don't fight, I just get beat up, a.k.a. Mr. Dr. Do Too Little. What do you think of that one? Is that a... Dr. Do Too Little. Yeah, it's like a... <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just a underachieving thing. It's great. Um, and I think that's all of them. Oh, and the last one is, hey, it's not you, it's me. I'm just going through a lot right now. And I'm joined with Evan Arnold today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Do you have any uh, any AKAs or any nicknames? Oh, man, zero AKAs. Okay. No, <laughs> no. That's okay. Maybe, yeah, we'll, maybe, we'll, we'll, out. <laughs> maybe we'll try and find one for you by, right. the, uh, by the end of this episode. Um, usually how we kind of run these episodes is we'll do a little bit of a, an intro at the uh, at the top of the podcast to kind of introduce cool. our guest. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into it and, and ask you how you found yourself uh, living and working in Los Angeles. Uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, so I imagine, yeah. I this imagine. is amazing. So this is this is the first time I met Krish. I met Krish maybe, aka Mr. Do Too Little, Dr. Do Too Little. Uh, I met him maybe five minutes ago and, right. and here we are which is fantastic in a small, <laughs> yeah i guess we should have prefaced that which is great we're, we're in a small little room here in just south of koreatown i That's work right. in west hollywood i live in beverly hills and uh this is cool <laughs> I, I, i've never i've never been thrown in a, in a situation where i meet someone for the first time and it's amazing so amazing. this is great thank you so much for joining me but uh how did i come to la man it's like kind of like a, a the, the the short version would be uh i was born in northridge just in the valley so uh 
maybe about 20 miles north of here. Okay. And then uh, when I was three, my parents split. My mom stayed down here for a bit, but was in a different area. And then when I was seven, my family, or five, I can't remember, uh, my stepmom, my stepdad and my mom moved up to the East Bay of San Francisco. Okay. I grew up there pretty much until I was about 18. I bounced back and forth uh, for visitation and stuff with my pops. Right. And then when I was 20, I was in, uh, I was studying at Las Positas Fire Academy to wow. be a firefighter. No way. And then uh, I just had, I had a talk one day. My my uncle is a, or was just retired. He was a battalion chief here in uh, uh, LA County Fire. Right. And on family vacation one summer, he said, this is not the place for you. Wow. Uh, he said, you're too creative. You got to find something that you can use your creativity. And if you want to take orders all day and, you know, carry hose and do whatever, <laughs> this is great. But he's like, I don't think that's you. You got to figure out something else. Yeah. And when I was 19, I thought to myself, man, I, you know, I've been like doing this whole fire thing for three years now. But um, I, I thought back, what classes did I enjoy in high school? And we had this really bad film class. Um, <laughs> bad in bad for for what reason? Just how it, it was. Taught? It was. I mean, it was. It was a. It was an easy A. It was. It was a free grade. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, and that and that is uh, unfortunately something that I found is common amongst a lot of high schools. I mean, unless you end up going to like an art, arts high school or something that's sure. kind of centralized with that, they end up just being these courses where it's like, watch this film and tell me how many you know adverts you can right, find right, right. in them or something. So this was this was like you make film, it's film production. Okay. But it, okay. but so it was it was even worse. It was like they gave you a handy cam and then you would walk around and film something and then present it to the class and oh. it was always like a guarantee oh, like man. you film something, you right, get an right, A. Right. So I thought back and I thought, man, it was just so much fun goofing off in that class. And like that was literally the decision that made me choose film. It was wow. it was bizarre because it was so like it, it did not embody the industry at all, and I knew it didn't. But that, and I saw an independent movie um, that played in at the Toronto Film Festival in 06. Wow. I obviously was not there. I was 16 at the time. Right. Um, and I was in the East Bay of San Francisco, but it was like the first like indie, indie, indie movie I saw okay. called Bella. Bella. And uh, that coupled with, I'm thinking, you know, three years later, four years later, that and thinking about carrying the handicam I was like yeah. I'm gonna go for film so I just like I created a little track dolly out of PVC pipe skateboard wheels and oh wire. man um I borrowed my buddy's handicam I bought a tripod from Best Buy it was an open container so it was like 20 bucks <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, find the steals the way you can yeah. uh, exactly and then I went into San Francisco and I just got a bunch of like sweeping dolly shots and I thought to myself like the the three things in my mind at that point before film school was uh you need a steady camera good sound and like a quality image and so mm. like or uh, quality video and so i was like the, the handy cam it's 400 bucks it's cheap but it can do it right um the track dolly makes it steady and then throwing music on it solves the whole audio problem right so those three things should be good enough to get me into film school and <laughs> so um i applied a bunch of different film schools um actually only three um i applied to uh, apu biola and uh uc irvine just okay. because I don't. I wasn't anticipating going into film, so I didn't really have the grades for right, LA right. or SC or Chapman right. or something like that. And um, yeah, I, I just went to the city for the day, San Francisco, the the city itself, and uh, shot. I was just a bunch of dolly shots. Um, I got arrested for <laughs> for running. Uh, 
I wanted to get like a time lapse shot oh, of like yeah. the cars on the on the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh man, okay. So they always shut down like the center lane after hours, and so it just turns into two lane. Then a right. third lane, uh, depending on where the traffic's flowing, that will make it go in either direction. So it was shut down on both sides. So it was an empty lane in the dead center. Uh, I mean, that's a freeway. But right. I ran onto it and I set up a <laughs> tripod, and I got like four minutes of footage until. Uh, I was looking, and then I saw red and light, red and blue yeah. lights flashing, and next thing you know, I was in handcuffs in the back of a cop oh car. Oh, my But um, I chopped together, submitted to film school. Bio accepted me, and I came down here, and uh, I've been here ever since. Wow. Okay. So how, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to just kind of paint this, like, timeline, I suppose. Yeah. So there was no kind of, like, blip after applying. Like, you got into the school, and then you stayed there. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like really like hit the ground running, except uh, when it comes to the film school, uh, within the first semester, I knew immediately production is not for me. Okay. And so it and was, was that? It was, I mean, I was like watching paint dry. It's like, right. especially on student films, it's like they're <laughs> student films. <laughs> right, the, right, right. Um, uh, but, oh man, it, it's like, to shoot 14 hours to get two minutes of usable footage, I was like, that blew my mind. That right. it, and it was that was like something I was not expecting. I knew that there was a lot of work that goes into it. I knew it would not be anywhere near as simple as grabbing a handy cam, getting a shot. But, yeah. man, it was, like, tough. So I immediately switched my emphasis. Pardon me. No I, I, um, I immediately switched to uh, media management. So it's like the business side of film. And then okay. I've been doing that just ever since. Ever since. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, that to me, truthfully is kind of like a whole different world. We were very lucky enough to sit down with a, uh, a film tech from Toronto, a friend of ours named Alex Ordanis, And he kind of broke down, um, at least for us in layman's terms, a lot of the kind of roles and uh, positions primarily on the, the production side, which was really great for us because that was, I guess those are all titles that you end up kind of, uh, for, you, for the everyday moviegoer, those are things sure. that you, you kind of see on your screen, you know, uh, sure. or at least in the credits. Um, but this kind of this this back end side is something that ends up being like a whole different world. So I'm I'm curious to know how you would describe that or how you would kind of encompass that 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 role or what it is that you've been doing. So okay, so I'll, I'll give you kind of the, the brief or as brief as I can. I tend, sure. I tend to be long-winded That's and okay. I talk very tangentially. No, no, no. I never talk in a straight line. That's I wish okay. I did. That's but, okay. uh, in any case, so I was at Biola and I quickly realized, so they, they have a decent film school. Okay. Um, it's nothing. It, they don't have the funding that SC has, the funding that NYU has, right. uh, uh, even full sale for that, for that matter or anything like that. It's like, there's so many, there's, I mean, over 300 film schools around the world. Um, and biology, it is, it is a, a Bible Institute first, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Okay. That's the acronym. Right. Um, and, uh, they, I mean, it, it's such a young program. It's only been there for maybe 10 years, I think. Wow. And so it's still growing and they do have a lot of great things to offer, but, uh, they just, at the time that I was there, they weren't like the they weren't a powerhouse. And so like my, my dream is to do very well in the business and then, you know, give back and then help build them up to be something right. bigger. Amazing. Um, but, uh, that really forced me to get out. And so, yes, I was still doing film classes. Yes. I was still in the film school, um, majoring in film, minoring, minoring in biblical theology there, right um, as every student does. And so, uh, I spent, 
I started stacking my classes two days a week on like a Tuesday and a Thursday. Right. And then I just started interning everywhere I could. And so wow. I was interning Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I was working a job um, on the weekends. So I was just keeping a busy schedule. Yeah. And so um, I did my first internship in France um, at the film festival there with a company called Rogers and Cowan. Um, and uh, I did it through a program called Creative Minds run by a guy named Rob Ford. Okay. Not the Rob Ford, yeah, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> the black Rob Ford. Right. Uh, Rob is a very dear friend of mine. Right on. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I did my first internship in France, and then that part, or uh, uh, that kind of leveraged into a second internship at Industry Entertainment here in LA, right. and that leveraged into my third and like final internship, um, which was at Laura Ziskin Productions over at Sony, and they did the first, uh, or that Spider Man one, two, three, wow. the first Amazing Spider Man, and the second Amazing Spider Man, um, and Laura Ziskin. Um, who was the powerhouse producer over at Sony, passed of cancer in 2010. Mm -hmm. And she handed off her company um, to her producing partner, Pam Williams, and her uh, young creative exec, uh, David Jacobson, in 2010. Okay. And her last kind of like will and testament was to do a movie called The Butler. And so um, she died, if I recall correctly, on like a Thursday. And she took, died on a Thursday morning. She took her last like butler meeting on a tuesday night so it was like wow. less than like 36 hours later after her last meeting she passed so she's very passionate about oh it oh my goodness so i just was interning there and you know my pops always told me as a kid you know like be the first man on last man off right um and so i was only supposed to intern from like 10 to 6 10 right. to 5 um and there was a few other interns but i was there every day at like nine right to the point where they gave me keys and I was unlocking the office on the lot. Wow. And I was staying till like 2 or 3 a.m. until they were forcing me out the door. So <laughs> get the heck out of here. Yeah, of course. Um, they thought they were like breaking like labor laws for <laughs> interns or something. But sure. uh, I just started doing that and just like hitting it hard. And then um, just after like eight months of that, I mean, I was... That internship, I think, for me lasted like over a year. No way. And so, yeah, I was there. I mean, I, I loved it and it was great and I was learning and they were developing... And just kind of getting everything contractually lined up and uh, for the butler because it was being independently financed from right. a bunch of various different parties. And so um, I was there for, for a long time. And then Pam Williams, who was the, the, you know, the producer of the butler, right. she said, we're going to go down to Louisiana to shoot the film for four months. Do you want to come with? And I wow. was like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know. You haven't been in Louisiana yet? I unfortunately have oh. not. It is the greatest city in the world. I really? mean, like, yes, it is incredible. Um, or New Orleans itself, not Louisiana's not a city. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the greatest state in the country, and Amazing. it's the greatest city in the world, in my opinion. And it's not so much for the partying or the Mardi Gras or whatever you think it is. Yeah. Uh, the food, the culture, the music, the people, the architecture. Uh, it's robust. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It, it is It is a melting pot of all melting pots. And yeah. it's, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't talk enough about it. But in any case, I didn't know anything about New Orleans, I just thought, hey, this will be a great opportunity for yeah, me. Yeah, certainly. How old were you at this point in time, if I may ask? I was uh, 21. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I was sleeping on Dave Jacobson. It was a, his couch. Um, he was the co-producer of the film. Um, and it was just, it was, I had just at that point been dating my now wife for, this was uh, 2012. So I've been dating her for just over a year. Mm -hmm. So it was very tough for her for me to leave. Yeah. Um, and it was... 
it was tough for me too, but because I was so busy, it was kind of easy, easier for me to kind of put my mind and where I was grinding and what I was doing, like, you know, in one direction and yeah. focus hard on my work. And then you kind of forget about how much you miss someone, even right. though you miss them all the time. And once you get back every day, you know, give them a call, talk to them and you realize, oh man, this sucks. I wish you were here. I wish yeah. I was there. But, uh, it was so busy. We were getting between three to five hours of sleep every single night. Um, we had 4 a.m. call times on set. Lee Daniels tends, tend, tended to shoot a little bit late. Right. But it was, I mean, it was the best summer of my life. It was, uh, I mean, until this last summer when I got married, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, up until this last yeah. summer, it right, was the right, best right. summer of my life. And um, <clears throat> I don't know if we'll ever, there'll ever be a summer like that. It was an incredible experience because... Um, you know, I was the producer's assistant and I got to, you know, get my hands dirty and just be in the mix for four months. Um, a part of a $32 million film, yeah. which is like something I'd never seen. The first down set, I was like, holy shit, like, this is, <laughs> this is a real, real film. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was great. And just like seeing like celebrities and whatever people that you, I don't know, being around Oprah every day for four months yeah. was like surreal at first, uh, I don't, I don't really get starstruck. There's very few people that do it for me. Right. I've only been starstruck three times, and it's been Oprah's boyfriend, Stephen Graham. I don't right. know why right. he starstruck <laughs> me. Um, and then I was starstruck by Quincy Jones, of course. Right. And then uh, Cornell West. I like almost couldn't speak. Oh, my goodness. Cornell West. That was like, whew, yeah, he, like, Yeah, he's... he's yeah. Like a deity. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, he, he's like that one person that... Um, always dive into what he has to say, and every time he said he speaks, I listen. Yeah. Um, and he also challenges my thought more than anyone else or anything else. Um, I feel like I'm always right, and then when I hear Cornell say it, it's almost kind of like a voice of reason. Like, right. do and I, I don't agree with him with everything, but I love that everything he says. I have to like sit and think: Do I agree with this? And then I, I it, it like forces me to get uncomfortable, and I love that about Certainly. Cornell. Um, he's brilliant, and he puts the people first. And I don't know. I tend to. Hate taxes and and <laughs> like the money that I'm or like to keep the money that I make. Right. I don't like the money I make. I like to keep right, the money right, that right, I right, do right. make. But uh, he's always a person that just reminds me. Uh, we got to take care of each other. Yeah. But so in any case, those are the three people that did it. But being on set was incredible, and um, it was great also because I had zero responsibility. I mean, I had responsibility to you know make sure. I was doing my job, make sure yeah, I was yeah, taking yeah. care of them. I was doing research. I was doing whatever. I was setting up pages or whatever, driving to and from set or or getting this for that person or or I, I don't know. There was like a, a my only thumbprint on that movie was Columbus Short, um, who's the star of Stomp the Yard, was supposed to play right. Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Um, and his the network wouldn't let him out of his contract. And oh, yeah. so he ended up um going to Pam said to me, like, make a list of 10 people that you like, that you're, wow. she, she said like 10 people, like the 10 biggest actors, biggest names that are, uh, black or African-American male ages 18 through 40. And I was like, all right. Wow. So I made the list. It was like 15 people. And I saw Nelson Ellis, who I love. Um, right. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the show. Uh, what is it? Uh, True Blood yeah. on HBO. Yeah, yeah. He is the uh, gay cook. Oh and shit! I love Nelson Ellis. <laughs> I, I mean, his character is incredible, and he is just like one of my favorite actors of all time. Right. Um, he is no longer with us, so rest in peace, Nelson right. Ellis. But um, he was like number based on like, I guess value. 
internationally they're a star how big their name is yeah. he was like number nine on the list and I remember circling his name and then passing over Pam saying go to him first he's the guy and yeah. so I don't know if this was me but four <laughs> days later he showed up on set and I was like Damn. I circled his name <laughs> I don't know that meant anything but right. uh, it was an incredible experience but oh so I was saying Man, when things when things would fall apart, when funding would fall through, when uh, the bond company, who is essentially uh, the insurance company on the film, right. saw that the funding was running out and threatened to shut down everything and take over the film and fire everybody and whatever, whenever that stuff would happen, there was nothing for me to do but sit back and watch. Right. And so how much? I, yeah, your control is just kind of exactly like, uh, reduced. Every day when when set life was done, we'd get home. You know, we'd do a little bit of work, but then it's like you know I had. It's like my mind shut off. I didn't have any more responsibility. Yeah, it was yeah, good yeah. for the day until 5 a.m. Until I had to be in the car at 5 a.m. So as simple as that. But uh, you know, Pam and the other producers and uh, whatever that is, uh, I mean, all those other people that were you know making the decisions in the film, right. weren't sleeping because you know they had to figure out a way to, to raise X amount of more million dollars or whatever it was, yeah. uh, and keep the film running. Whereas I would then walk into the court or grab a beer, go listen to some jazz. It was, yeah, yeah. it was amazing. But right. so, uh, on that movie, uh, there was a producer whose job was, um, to finance the film and he helped package all the financing. Um, his name was Cassie Nellways. And then after I got back from Butler, um, you know, my, my boss, uh, Pam was just, didn't have a lot of work for me at that point. Yeah. The deal with Sony expired. She had moved out the lot. There was a bunch of different things that were kind of up in the air. And then uh, I just randomly saw Cassian at, a, at an Academy screening for The Butler when they were trying to push it for an Oscar campaign Right. Um, in October of 2013. And uh, he like offered me a job beginning of the year. Wow. So that's where I've been ever since. Amazing. Um, I'm kind of his jack of all trades, his right hand. I, uh, he, he asked me big things and small things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. He's asked me to frame a picture and then I'll frame a picture. Yeah. And the next day he called me, this was like a few months ago, he called uh, and said, I need you to go in France on Friday and produce this, the second unit of this film for this Christmas Stewart movie we're doing. And so in four days notice, I had to put together a budget. I had to wow. get the production insurance, just get everything all lined up, fly out to France. And I was getting married in 18 days at this point. So <laughs> the bride, the bride wasn't super stoked about yeah, it, but she was super imagine. supportive. And, um, so it, it's like there's there's a lot that kind of falls on my plate. Right. Um, my title is uh, director of development over at his company, but right. as far as I'm concerned, I'm glorified intern, whatever that entails. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> he calls himself a latrine officer. It's like there's there's there, it, it's a two man band, and uh, and he's growing, which is great. Um, the company is growing slowly, but it's uh, as of now, it's just the two of us sitting in an office, um, a house on Sunset Boulevard. Um, just doing our thing. Right. Yeah. I had someone write to me the other day, uh, my brother's ex-girlfriend, uh, who, oh, yeah. who, went to, who went to film school, and right. she said, like, you know, I'm anxious. You know, my film school sucked, and Pepperdine's film school isn't what it used to be. And, right. you know, like, I'm graduating in May, and I don't have anything lined up. Like, what do you suggest? And it's like, I just emailed her back, like, you know, just a sort of little response saying, listen, whatever your anxieties that exist for you right now, I feel every single day. Yeah. And every single day I question myself, what's my next move? What's my next move? Right. Um, my very first movie that I got my very first producer credit on um, in a very small capacity, I was an associate producer, so it's last minute on the totem pole, but right. still in the producer's unit. Certainly. Um, 
was called Elvis and Nixon with... Sorry, the name of the movie? The name of the movie was Elvis and Nixon. Elvis and Nixon. Okay. Uh, sold to Amazon for $4 million. Okay. Um, uh, Evan Peters. So Evan it's Peters, starring yeah. Evan Peters, Michael Shannon, Kevin Spacey, um, which is kind of a taboo name right now. Certainly. And uh, a few others, but that was my first associate producer wow. credit. And so I was super jazzed on it. It was a big deal for me. You know, I had just gotten assistant credits up until that point. Right. And um, my now wife has made a point to take me to a nice dinner every time I have a producer credit and a film yeah, that comes yeah, yeah. out. So after it comes out, for whatever, whenever it comes out, we go for dinner. Um, and so I've always wanted to go to Matsuhisa, oh, yeah. which is like the original Nobu. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nobus are all around the world, and it's by the chef at Nobu. His name is, the head chef is Nobu Matsuhisa. Right. And so his original restaurant is his last name, or technically first name, depending on how you're looking at it. Mm. Um and then uh, Bob De Niro teamed up with him to start Nobu after Matsuhisa. Right. So Matsuhisa is a small room, almost smaller than this room. Oh, man. Right? No, not really. But it's, it's tiny. I mean, yeah. it seats maybe 20 people in there. And right. so we went to Matsuhisa. And I was all excited. I was like, man, I got my first producer credit. This is amazing. Yeah. And uh, we sat down. And, man, before the drinks were even dropped, I was already stressed out thinking, what's my next move? <laughs> and Jordan's like, oh. my wife Jordan, she's like, she's like, Evan, come on, let's celebrate. And I was like, I'm too stressed. Right. And she's like, what are you stressed about? And it's like, you got like, how do I get a co-producer credit now? And she's right. like, Evan, we'll get there. You got time. <laughs> and it's like, I, I understand that, but my my life is constant. I, like, I, I, I stress when I go to bed. I'm stressed when I wake up. I'm right. stressed when I'm at work. I'm stressed when I'm not working. Um, I think I'm just like wired to, I don't know. I, I think it's a healthy stress to an extent right. because it keeps me rolling and keeps me moving forward and keeps me driven. But I think also, man, it's just like, oof, it's a little bit stressful. Hard Something that I, I really have to ask you is what your kind of, or what your observation has been in like the air or in like the conversations that you've had, um, particularly post uh, all of what is now known to the public in terms of, these accusations that have been made against anyone and everyone at this point in time, um, when it comes to when it comes to assault or, or all all things kind of related, you know, I think uh, the conversations are, are being had everywhere. I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah. But um, I'm kind of curious to know, yeah, from from your perspective, someone who's, who's kind of here. Yeah, I've I've so my my first experience ever 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 in Hollywood ever ever ever. This was like my first experience ever. Um, was when I came to Biola Film School, um, they gave you three credits for going to the Sundance Film Festival. Okay. So my second semester in college, that's obviously January, and last week of January, um, in Park City, Utah, which is about 45 minutes, uh, like northeast of uh, Salt Lake City. Okay. They give you three credits to go there and participate in a program that they frame for you, and they put you up in like a place, and you pay the whatever the credit is and you pay like some lodging fee and they take care of you and then you get it's like your elective one of your electives you can take so i was like great let's do it so i i drove 13 hours uh, in a five-seater car with five people um we got there we stayed in the heber star motel 15 (laughs) miles south of the city for three days because we wanted to go early right um i think it was like 40 dollars a night no, it was more than that. It was like eighty dollars a night. Oh, and it was split between like four, five people. Okay. So everyone pitched in like forty bucks or yeah, whatever yeah. it was. Except one person still doesn't pay me back the forty dollars. <laughs> the uh, which obviously now it's not that big of a deal. At the time, I was like, forty bucks. Are you are forty bucks. The, um, uh, but so I remember first night we got in. We got in super super late. Then like the next night, it was 
we saw some movies and then we went to um uh we went hang on one second hey, yeah, yeah, go here, for it. if you don't mind me the no, uh cool um so the uh sorry my my phone's lighting up right no now worries. Really good. <laughs> the um the very first uh oh so, so like the big first like open night we had um, we thought, hey, let's go try and get into some parties. So obviously this is long before I had access to party grades or new people at the agencies or new people at the you know, the publicists that were running them that can get us in the door or whatever. Oh. And so we knew that there was two options, try and talk your way in, one, or two, try and sneak your way in. And so I had a buddy named Boye who um, he like knew every name in the business and he could just drop a name and get in any door. Wow. Um, and so he would do that. And then there was me. I don't know anybody. I was like, I was still brand new to it. I spent <laughs> my whole life thinking I was gonna be a firefighter. Right. And so, uh, Paramount had a kind of small little imprint label that did a lot of their like online digital content. And, um, it is like some TV stuff and then like some smaller distribution. It was like kind of their indie, indie, indie little branch called, um, Vantage, which I believe is now called Insurge, or it was Insurge now called Vantage, one of the two. Um, They were having a party. And so uh, I found the liquor supply in a stairwell, (laughs) and I grabbed four cases of Heineken (laughs) and just knocked on the back door, and security opened up. And uh, they looked at me and saw I was carrying four cases of beer, and like they just assumed I was restocking the bar. So they just said, come on in. And I was like, all right, cool. Walked into the bar and just set it down, and I was in the party. And I was like, great, I'm here. I took one step and I looked and I saw Harvey Weinstein and I go, holy shit, it's Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Like that was like, like it was the first person I've ever seen in the business. It was right. like, wow, this guy's like name precedes himself. Yeah. Everyone knows who Harvey is. And I was like, I can't believe it's Harvey. And I look at him and I'm like from me to you. So like maybe four feet yeah. from, from him. And like, he's kind of like his back's facing me and I look and he leans over to a girl he's talking to and he goes, uh, well, if you're not gonna do that, at least how about a blowjob? Oh my! And I was God. like, "Holy shit!" And like, I saw that, and I was like, "I could not believe that I saw that interaction." But that was the first experience ever in Hollywood, so I knew long before I stepped in it, <sighs> this place is scummy. Yeah. And so uh, I think she just like walked away or whatever, and then he grabbed his jacket. And I'm like, I don't know what it was, but I was like, "Wow!" Oh I thought it, I thought it was like this unique story, and I told people years later, and they're like. I got a real Harvey story if you want to hear it. Yeah. And I was like, dude, he was soliciting a girl for a blowjob. Like, right. it's not crazy. And they're yeah. like, that's, that's Harvey. So I kind of knew that that existed in the business. And my goal was to kind of like be a light in a dark place. Mm. Um, I wanted to make movies and I still do want to make movies that, you know, inspired and bring hope and, um, uh, point back to, I think what's important in life. And yeah, I wanted to essentially, I, I went to a biblical or a Bible college and, um, I'm a Christian. And so I, right. uh, I wanted to, like my goal in life was to make, and still is make movies that point back to God without ever using his name. Right. And that's what Bella did. And that's what kind of like affected me was it's a movie about adoption. It's a whole other story, but I have two adopted sisters from China right. that we got when I was uh, 17 years old, went to Beijing for two weeks, took two weeks off of high school and we brought two sisters home that, Daniel Maria or uh, Luo Xiaowei and Luo Ya, my two sisters. So I love them a bunch and they're great and it's been an incredible experience. But yeah. adoption's always been kind of something in my family that's been Certainly. really important. And um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, Bella is like a movie that's about adoption and speaks about God without ever talking about him. It's right. a complete backdoor approach. I loved it. And I think it's an incredible movie. Um, it's not on my top 10 list, but I love it. Right. And uh, 
Yeah, so that that's like that's like my goal. So I I knew it was going to be scummy and creepy and gross and whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, in fact, the whole like Me Too thing. I, I guess they, to to cut to to the heart of it is mm. I think it's very necessary and very important. Yeah. Um, I'm nervous right now that it's becoming a little bit of a witch hunt. Right. Um, and I think that we are at this point where everyone is now guilty until proven innocent. Right. Which I think is scary mm. um, that you can make a claim that's completely unfounded and you can get hit and people will pull you from stuff. And like, it's a major PR concern. Certainly. Um, there are people that are fighting it. There's people, whatever. I know it's easy and sorry. got called out and mm. then Hollywood had his back and then they noticed that, you know, that was completely, uh, as I guess a lot of the feelings there and a lot of the, the accusers recollection of everything was very fictitious and mm. they pulled back and everything was fine now. But it's like, aside from Aziz and sorry, I don't know anybody that, has had claims against them that is saying that the claims are false and that people are believing them. Right. Um, I had, I had a little bit of a run in with, uh, one of the, I'd say like one of the top five famous people that got hit, um, who I worked on the film with. I'm not going to say his name. I'll say off the record when the mics are off. But the, um, uh, I had a bunch of buddies or I'll, I'll, I'll go back to it. The, uh, uh, I was working on a film and he was like very touchy feely and, uh, with me mm. and, um, he knew I had a girlfriend, but he didn't care. Um, he knew I was heterosexual and he didn't care. Right. And there was a point where he would like sit on my lap and he would massage my ears and it just got, he just got like awkward. And right. then there was a point where at 4am he texted me, wanted me to come over and bring a bottle of wine to his hotel room. And like, wow. I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. This is like one of the top people in the business yeah. texting me doing this right now. And so, like, I I told his friends those stories to my friends, and like everyone like was texting me when it, when it first hit that this guy had fallen, and right. they said, um, "Dude, we're waiting for your Me Too story." And I was like, "Bro, that's not a Me Too story. Yeah. It's an awkward encounter of a gay man trying to make a pass at a straight dude and getting awkwardly shut down. It's as simple as that. Right? Was it uncomfortable? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But do I feel like I was sexually assaulted? No. Do I right. feel like I was like?" It was sexual misconduct because he sat on my lap and was like rubbing my ears and like playing with my nose and like, no, like did he want more? Yes, but like, whatever he did, it was, was stopped. Yeah, it was, but it was also yeah. I mean, like he knew his limits to the point where like he didn't do anything that, in like my opinion, that was like uncalled for. Right. And so when I think about that, like I got a lot of people saying waiting for the Me Too story. Some right. people were joking. Some people were serious. And it's like. Just because you have an awkward encounter, I mean, millions of people have awkward encounters with other millions of humans every day, right. every single day. And just because it's a famous person doesn't mean it's like a sexual assault thing. So right. I, th- that's where I get nervous about the, the the witch hunt. But I can tell you in five years from five years from now, this will all play to a more positive, yeah. a positive outcome. Right. And I think I think the business is changing and should be changing. And I think it's necessary. I think this is the band-aid ripping off. And I think there's a lot of hurt and a lot of frustration, a lot of anger. And uh, I think a lot of it's kind of perpetuated by politics right now and what's going on there, yeah. um, which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's necessary and I think it's great. I think that not all of it's great. And I think like in everything you see in life, there's good and bad and right. I wish that people would more kind of discern between the good and the bad. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know. The, the whole fact that uh, Harvey Weinstein has been banned from the Academy yet has yet to be found guilty of anything is frustrating to me on the sole fact that it's just very, uh, I can't think of the word right now for it. Um, it's frustrating to me that Roman Polanski has been found guilty of a sexual crime against a minor, yet he is still a part of the Academy and they mailed him his Oscar in the mail to France. Wow. Afterwards, after he ran the country. Right. Um, there's been accusations accusations against Woody Allen for years. Right. And he's still a part of the Academy. Right. Bill Cosby has been under fire for years and he's still a part of the Academy. Right. Yet Harvey Weinstein's name is so big and it's in his 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 uh his reputation is so large and so larger than life that I, I, it just like it, it's, is he guilty? Yes. Should he be banned from the Academy? Yes. But it's frustrating to me to see all the other people that they're letting get a pass and Where they're just the, like sitting on it. Yeah. The inconsistency, yeah. right? Wow. Beyond inconsistent. So that's my take on the whole me too thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bizarre. I think a lot of it is necessary and I think a lot of it is great. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't I, know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, thank you, thank you for sharing this because yeah. I, I, of course, these conversations kind of happen all over. Um, you know, a few episodes ago, uh, myself and my co-host and even a couple others were really trying to, kind of like uh, vent how we felt, particularly about the the Aziz scenario. Um, right. For for a couple of reasons, one, I think on like a. Uh, representation front that's he's someone that has spoken to us for for many years and kind of sure. encourages and inspired us um particularly being you know a, a south indian tamil right um but but yeah he, um i think kind of paired with uh, something that a lot of people have spoken about which is that um you know there are there are parts of his work which have very much and kind of like publicly or very intentionally uh being in support of not only women but also in support of uh kind of uh, shedding a light on, you know, a lot of this kind of ridiculous, ridiculousness that takes place in Hollywood when it comes to, uh, right. The kind of degradation of, of, of women. Sure. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's just a, uh, a frightening space to kind of not only enter, but, but have the courage to kind of speak on it. But, um, right. yeah, I agree. It very I much think, is. I think the biggest thing that's coming out of it, that's the best part is, uh, seeing, I think the numbers shift and seeing everybody getting on board to create true equality in Hollywood between right. women and men. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, uh, I'm my official title in this is a program director of right. a program called the horizon award, which promotes, uh, young female filmmakers in college. Uh, we basically put on a competition every single year where, um, we go out to over 275, uh, film schools around the world. Um, blast out. Rob helps us with that. Rob Ford helps us with the black Rob Ford. Right. <laughs> uh, does all that for us. Um, and uh, we get a two minute short submitted by uh, every year. It's around 400 people, 400 young female filmmakers that are Amazing. between the age of 20 and 26 uh, or 18 and 26 um, that are in college or within a year of graduation um, that will submit a two minute short. And then we run through the ringer and through, dozens of top female execs in the business and then from there we then narrow down the 400 to 90 then we take the 90 and we go to six top female directors in the business like Catherine Hardwick who did Twilight right. and uh, D Reese who did Mudbound that I was uh, an associate producer on amazing um that that movie is probably the most dear movie to me that I've worked on wow Mudbound um the 
uh, we go to a lot of people. Vicky Jensen, who directed Trek, um, and so then uh, she also did Shark Tale and a few others, a few famous right. others. And then from there, we narrowed it down to the top fifteen. And then Cassie always my boss, um, Michelle Satter, who's the head of the directing program at Sundance, um, Christine Vachon, who was like an indie producer legend. And then uh, Lynette Howell, who recently did The Accountant with uh, uh, Ben Affleck. That's right. Um, uh, she just did Unicorn Store with Brie Larson. And then um, she has a company with Brie Larson. And she also like manages Derek San France. Wow. Um, she also did Blue Valentine, Place Beyond the Pines. Anyways, those four people then pick uh, two people, the two top female directors that are still in college, to come with us to Sundance. And wow. then every Sundance, it's a week of them just shadowing us, going to parties, events, setting up meetings. Uh, and basically mini mentorships with all the partners, Christine, Lynette, Cassie, and Michelle. Um, and it's an amazing time. And so we started that um, over four years ago. And so I've been doing this for four years with wow. Cassie. And so everyone's talking about me two times up. It's like, bro, Women in Film put out a, an article in 2012 saying that of the top 750 films, or sorry, 2014, um, of... No, no, no. See, it, was, it, was, it was based on data in 2012 and 2013. Gotcha. In 2014, of the top 250 films each year, only 7% were directed by women. The top 250 grossing films um, in the year 2013 and 2014, right. it's around um, or 2012, between 7 and 9% were directed by women. And so Cassian was like passionate about it. I have four sisters. He has two daughters. Um, and I think it's something that anyone can agree on, whether sex, creed, whatever, whatever race, religion, gender you are, everyone agrees that equality is a, is paramount and is a basic human necessity. Necessity. Um, and so we've been doing this for four years now. So everyone's talking about time's up and whatever. It's like, bro, time was up for us four years ago. Um, but it's great to see things change. And so I'm a huge fan of that. Um, but yeah, so anyway, Brilliant. Whatever. Brilliant. Whatever. Yeah. Back to what you were saying. <laughs> no, this is, this is seriously been uh, super, super insightful for me. Thank you so much for, for all that you've shared. Yeah. Obviously, uh, a lot of this has, has kind of uh, become a bit introspective and and and, uh, and heavy at times. So I'm, I'm going to transition into a, a, yeah. a segment that we kind of usually end the show with just because it's cool. always kind of fun to do uh, that we call 3 Pete. Um, so I ask you three questions that are all... Uh, based on getting you to to share things with me in sets of three, um, cool. so it might take a little bit of time to think about. But I'll right. I'll start with your first one. You'd mentioned having a top ten list of, of yeah. movies that you like all the yep. time. What are one, two, and three on that list? Do you want all ten? Uh, yeah, let's do all ten. Okay. Uh, are they ranked as well? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, or at least the top five are ranked hard, and then the last five are soft. That are kind of like all number six, but okay. they're just all listed. Sure, let's go, let's go bottom to top, if you're cool Bottom to top. Ooh, yeah. I don't think I ever done. Okay, uh, bottom, I would say uh, number 10, Martha, Marcy, Mae Marlene. Okay. Um, I think is the most beautifully shot film I've ever seen. Um, I played at Sundance in 11. Number nine, let's go with 50-50. Okay. Uh, Jessica Gordon-Levitt and uh, Seth Rogen. Great I movie, love yeah. it because it's a comedy that is also deals with, deals with very serious things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's Seth Rogen's best role he's ever played. Uh, I actually, yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you on that he's, one. I think, I think he deserves some, some serious awards talk. Right. Because it was a, 
him playing a comedic role, but also trying to do his best to like sympathize for an, an awkward situation with yeah. his buddies going through cancer treatment. Let's go eight, uh, top five, which is the Chris Rock film. Right. Um, I think that I believe is universal that put it out and I feel like they did the worst job ever with the release strategy on it. I agree. Uh, that movie went under so many oh. people's radars. It was purchased for like something like 15 million bucks. So it was right. like a big purchase in Toronto in 2015, I want to say. Yep. Um, and I think the movie's beautiful. I think it's like funny and hilarious and has something very serious to say about race and where we are mm. in our country. Um, so I love that. Uh, number seven, are we on seven now? Yep. Um, seven, I would say uh, Attack the Block. Right. Um, which is a, a, like John Boyega's. Like, John Boyega's, yeah, like his introduction. First, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like his first one. And the, the movie itself is maybe like an hour and 15 minutes. It's super it's short, short, super, oh, super but fun. But it's great. Just, yeah. it's, it's just a fun, a fun movie. Yep. Um, I love, you'll see like as, as we kind of work our way through the, the other ones. Yeah. Um, I love coming of age stories right. and, um, the idea of, I guess, which is why I have not seen, um, that big Netflix show right now, stranger things. I right. Too, Likewise. But I love the idea of kids saving the world. I yeah. think that's just yeah, so yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm a big fan of that. Number six drive. Um, Ryan Gosling, Nick Reffin. Um, I saw that at the Toronto film festival in 2011, went to the world premiere. Uh, but he gave me a ticket to it, did the whole red carpet, whatever, Sat down in the seat not knowing what it was. I had zero oh, idea wow. who was in it. Yeah. I had zero idea what it was about. And then I sat down and it was just like that opening scene in the car and then yeah, Nightcrawler man. hits by Kavinsky and you're just like, holy oh, shit, what yeah, am I yeah, watching? Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. amazing. Um, uh, number five, Stand By Me. Yep. Um, I just love that movie. Uh, I think it's Rob Reiner's greatest film and I'm waiting for his next big one. Yeah. It's equally as good. <laughs> right. Uh, number four is Blue Valentine, right um, which is Gosling, uh, Michelle Williams, uh, Derek France. I love Derek France, And that movie is just like, I don't know. I, my parents were divorced and I grew up in it. Yeah. And so just like that whole just chaotic relationship, I thought was beautiful and I love. Um, it's a sad movie and depressing as hell and it's yeah. long, but it's Super great. Super sad, yeah. Uh, number three is uh, Denis Villeneuve's first like big movie um, called Ensemble. It's a French Arabic film. Um, it's like all subtitled. There's a little bit of English in it. It was long before he did Prisoners and Enemy and uh, Arrival and the new Blade Runner. Right. And, um, it's great. If you haven't wow. seen it, I have not seen it. Yeah, so I've seen all the other movies that you that you reference. Okay. His, but I haven't seen this. So movie he's yet. he might be like my favorite director of all time. Wow. Um, watch it. It's spelled Incendies. I N C E N D I E S. It's pronounced on Sunday. Watch it. Yeah. Okay. It's it is. You're going to sit for the first two hours of it and be like, this is long, this is slow, this is boring. I've had every single one of my friends watch it, and the last 10 minutes, they have their hands in their heads, they're standing up. It has the best payoff of any movie I've wow. ever seen. okay. It's incredible. So, on Sunday, for sure. Um, that's number three. Yep. Number two, uh, Meet Your Own the Dying Girl. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this movie, Love there's so, so much to say about this movie. Yeah, it's, I, I've never laughed, cried, and laughed again within 60 seconds of it. Wow. Um it's beautiful. It is a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yep. It, it's. I think it's so well done. Um, through the through the eyes of just like yeah, this kid. Everything. Oh, yeah. It's great. And, and it's I can imagine like, there's yeah. so much to, to empathize with too, given given his kind of like small but eventual pursuit of, of film school as well. It's kind yeah. of yeah. Yeah. It's. It, I I love that, and I just I love the characters are just so great, and it's. I don't know a weird kid navigating through high school, yeah. and someone with cancer, and just another heavy subject, and it's just like. 
it's great. I've never laughed and cried at the same time. Yeah. And so many movies or so many moments in a movie. And so that amazing, yeah. uh, the biggest shame of all time was, uh, I believe it was Fox Searchlight putting it up against opening weekend against Jurassic world. Oh, they yeah. did nothing in the box office. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. Again, another film that went tragic. Yeah, very um, under the, the radar. The movie Dope um, yeah. uh, was another big success of Sundance, a big sell, and I can't remember who distributed. They put it out against Mad Max, I want to say, and yeah. it's like th- these great films are just not being seen because yeah. they're trying to whatever. Anyway, and then number one of all time, uh, favorite movie of all time, uh, a movie called Like Crazy. Okay. Um, directed by Drake Doremus. Um, starring uh, Felicity Jones, Anton Yelchin, and Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. And uh, she's been a long, long distance relationship. And I saw it in 2011. Couldn't speak for maybe like two hours afterwards. Wow. Um, I've never been so moved by a movie in my life. And I felt like I, when I was in high school, when I graduated high school, I was dating this girl who went down to college in San Diego. And, um, I remember at that point I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. Like, <laughs> like, like, like looking back, it's like, it was, dude, it was, we were not there. Yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the biggest, the biggest thing was in 2009, we started going through like a rocky time because mm. I had just graduated high school. She was in San Diego. I was in San Francisco. So right. 471 miles, if I recall correctly, right. was the, was the difference between us. And then on top of that, uh, man, we were like, that was the whole long distance thing was tough and she was going to like parties and I was immature and like, was <laughs> like, of course she's going to parties she's like in San Diego in college yeah. and like, she's going to go to the frats and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I didn't trust her at that point because I didn't trust myself. It's like so many things where I was like, call me when you get home and she get home at four because she's in college. And then she's yeah. like, it's like, what are you doing out till four? I was like, I was so stupid. <laughs> right. There's there that, but then also 2009 election. Right. Um, we yeah. never talked politics for like a year. We were together until this point or a year and a half or whatever it was. Never talked politics until like the election came about, wow. and it was like, "Oh, you're you're voting that way. Right. Oh, you're voting this way." Yeah. Now, for me, when it comes to politics, I always vote the issues. Right. I don't really have a side, and like, yeah, I'm registered one way, but I hate everybody. Both yeah. sides suck. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> <Agreed>. like <laughs> for me, it's like I take I take my pick. So right. this last election, I didn't vote the uh, just because I hated them both equally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, it's. Yeah, it's a it's a tough call, but sometimes you have I know. to be. So, and you have I, to be. because I'm in a blue state, I knew where I was going anyway. Right. Um, I just like, man, it's I. I don't know, man. It was is I I hate everybody, but in any case, <laughs> we started we started talking about um, politics, and it got weird, and then just like from that point on, and then like kind of kind of falling out with her dad, right? Because they're this is oh, I'll tell this story. Sure, I, I got to leave here in a sec. But I got to sure, tell sure, the story. Sure. Uh, when she was she came back and surprised me from college. I was like, I had this busy weekend planned out. She was in college. I was doing all these things. And then her dad texted me saying, Hey, can you come, uh, you know, she sent you something. Can you, can you come pick it up? Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. So we texted all the time. I used to hang out with her family all the time when she was gone. Went to go pick it up. She was standing in the kitchen and I was like, Whoa, what are you doing here? But it's also like, wow, I have like nine plans tonight. Like I got to cancel or move it around or right. whatever. Right. Um, and so, uh, I remember hanging out. We sit up late. My curfew was, I think, two a.m. at that point. Or right. It was midnight. Talked my mom into letting me let me have it at two a.m. <laughs> whatever it was. She's like, "Cool." A few days later, she was leaving, and she was leaving the next day. I wasn't gonna see her for like two months, and I was like, you know, we were like sad and bumming out. And it was like two fifteen a.m., and I was like, I gotta go. And she's like, "All right, fine. Like, I don't want you to go, but you can go." So I left her house. I was driving back home, and I saw some dude pushing his car. 
So I was in a Jeep and I pulled up to him and I was like, hey, do you need help? And he's like, dude, I'm not from this town. I'm out of gas. I've been pushing my car for a while. I said, where have you been pushing your car from? And he said, I've been pushing it from Bollinger, or sorry, San Ramon Valley Boulevard and El Costa. And I was like, it's like two and a half miles away. Holy shit. And he said, I know. I don't know where I'm at. Like, it's been a long, I've been pushing for a while. I was like, bro. Or no, it was uh, uh, a mile Costa. Anyway, right. it was like a mile and a half away. And I was like, it was all hilly. And I'm like, you've been pushing up hills? He's like, yeah, you know, you got to push up the hill and then you got to jump in it and ride it down the hill. And I was like, this old accord. I was like, dude, hop in. Let's get you gas. Was yeah. like, all right, cool. So I drop in, gave him gas. Jehovah's Witness guy, super, super nice. Um, got him a gas can, came back, dropped him back off at his car. Could not be could not have been more thankful. I right. guess his like phone died and whatever it was. Um and so uh he uh the next day my then girlfriend had gone back to college and her dad texted me and said, Hey, can you come over and chat for a little bit? And I'm like, Yeah, sure, why not? So I hopped in my car, drove over, and the dad sat me down and it was like a family meeting without her. It was weird. Whoa. It was like the mom, the dad, the son, and me. And I was like, What's the son doing? What is mom? Yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. And they said, We want to talk to you about a few things. And they said, like, but most importantly, we want to make sure that you never put our daughter in danger. And I said, I never would. And so like it was where I was living at this point was a pretty privileged area. It was like a nice, you know, suburb of right. San Francisco. And um they said, we heard that you picked up someone the other day at like 2.30 in the morning. And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, oh, we want to make sure that you would never do that with you know, our daughter in the car. I said, no, I never would, but I was on my own. And the guy was pushing his car and needed help. And right. they said, we think that was a poor decision. And I said, well, here's my take. Whether it's 2 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon, the guy needed help. That's right. Like regardless of, of, of the sun being down or sun being up, he's been pushing his car for a long time. And, and he said, I think that was a poor decision. I said, why is that? And he said... There's something to be said about someone who's in this area that can't afford a cell phone. Wow. And I, I like looked at him and I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. And he said, there's a certain type of person that can't afford a cell phone. They don't belong in this area. And I was like, holy shit. Like I was just like, I was respectful and I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. Got it. And I got in the car and I don't think I talked to them. I used to talk to them all the time until Thanksgiving. That was like three months later. It was like, it was awkward. Seeing them at Thanksgiving. It's like, how you been? I've been busy. Thought you were working at Jamba Juice. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, busy. Uh, it was. Uh, it got sixteen hours this week. The yeah. um, dude. It, but it was. It was like that blew my mind that someone could have that perspective. Yeah. And like my my dad until like last year didn't own a cell phone. Right. Or two years ago didn't own a cell phone. Right. Um, I've lived in a lot of places and seen a lot of things. I've lived in a trailer for a minute. I've lived in Gangridden apartments. Yeah. I've. Uh, where my dad lives now, there was a dead body found within a hundred feet of his door in a van, three dead wow. bodies. I mean, like I, we, I've seen some shit and like to say that, like yeah. I, dude, I blew my mind. So like, this is like really weird. This is really, really weird. <laughs> but like one of those, like him saying that is one of like the biggest driving things for me in my career. Wow. Because it's like, I don't know. I feel like I need to prove prove the world wrong, right. especially that asshole. So he he is that one person that I still like. I I don't hold grudges, and I don't have a grudge against him. But I, whenever I hear his name or I think about him, not a good feeling. And it's and I had a great relationship with him for almost two years, right. until that one sentence, yeah. and that ruined it for me. Because yeah. as far as I'm concerned, for every rat you see, there's a hundred in the walls, yeah. and he's rotten to the core. So wow. that was super devastating for me, but. Anyway, getting back to the movie, yeah. the, the reason why we're talking about Man. this is uh, 
man, looking back uh, at that movie, I'd never been in a movie that was so true to what a long distance relationship is like mm. and the trust and like the lack of trust and whatever and just like how difficult it is and then watching it fall apart and it never being the same. Right. I'd never seen something so close to my life that it felt like not only did I watch something in my past, I felt like it picked me from where I was at, set me back to that moment wow. that I haven't thought about in three years and then made me walk all the way back to where I was at and stewing it. It was amazing. So Crazy. like it just broke me, but it was so good. So that's why I like Crazy my number one. Wow. Okay. Amazing. That's amazing. You know what? Yeah, you've blown my, you've blown my mind with these stories. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you so, so much, Evan. Uh, number two is uh, top three most memorable films that you've worked on. Uh, I've worked on, I would say, number three. Um, let's go with Billionaire Boys Club. Good. which is still not out because it's a big disaster. Kevin Spacey's in it. Right. Um, it's been put, the delivery date's been pushed so many times. It's been super difficult. Um, there's a lot of things going wrong with it. There was uh, technical, diff- there's so many things going wrong with it. Um, that just stands out just because right. I will never forget that movie. Right. Um, number two, The Butler, for yeah. sure. That was like my first, first get my feet wet. And um, although it's not like my favorite movie, um, it's it will always have a special place in of my course. heart. Just the circumstances. Come yeah. Out, yeah, the quotes come out of that movie for me like at least once a month or right. <laughs> once every two weeks. Like I'll say like like I'll say a joke from the movie or say a line from the movie or the line. It's like that movie like always is in my head. Um, just because it's like my first thing. You know, Pam gave me my first shot on that, and and that's always going to be that. Yeah. And then uh, my bound is number one, and that is uh, that's because I read the script before anyone else did. Um, or well, before anyone else in our camp, obviously someone read it, developed the script. Uh, the girl named Sally Joe, um, Effenson and Carl Effenson developed the script with Kyle Tequila, um, had Virgil Williams adapted from a book from Hillary Jordan. And then they were shopping around for a long time. Nothing was hitting, nothing was hitting. And my boss is very prolific in film and his name carries a lot of weight. And so they had tossed the script to, to, uh, my boss and my boss said, yeah, I haven't take a read. And I read it that very weekend and I, emailed him and I have the email in my, I pulled it up the other day and it's going to take too long to pull back up. But I said, <laughs> this is the best script I've ever read. If you do not want to do it, I am leaving and I will continue working on this film. Wow. So like I read, I read that. I was like, man, the balls on this kid and like two and a half years ago. Jeez. Yeah. 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 But, uh, that's it's a favorite script I've ever read and just being on set was amazing. And man, we didn't even get into animal Dave. That's like a whole nother story. The snake wrangler on set. Is wow. the reason I'm married. He's like the best. I'll, I'll give you one story real please, quick. Please, please. Um, so Animal Dave, being on set was incredible, and Animal Dave was a snake wrangler. His only job was to grab the snakes and pull them off set. And we were shooting uh, just south of Baton Rouge on the same uh, set as 12 Years a Slave. Gotcha. And uh, like I told you, what being on set is like watching paint dry, man. It's tough. So like yeah. I would just like talk to people and just whatever and – being an associate producer on a set, it's like you're just on fire watch. Like you're not doing much. Yeah. Um, like I, obviously I was helping where I could, but uh, for the most part, I feel like the biggest job of the producers is just making sure things run efficiently yeah. um, and make sure that obviously the finances line up and that you're you know making your days and whatever and you're the big boss on set, but you're just supervising. You know, Everyone's kind of doing their thing. You're just sitting, you're just answering emails, whatever. You yeah. could do it in a trailer, you could do it on set. So that's what I'm saying. It's not where I'm, I'm, it's not, I'm not doing anything. It's right. just, um, I was able to, you know, make relationships and whatever. And so, Certainly. uh, Dave, David White, uh, was this like swamp 
wisdom, sage, <laughs> old back. Dude, he would the stuff he said was just like gold all the time. You yeah. just say shit, and you're just like, whoa. <laughs> and so he asked me one day. I would and I would spend all my weekends um, uh, going fishing with him in the Mississippi River. Uh, having dinner with his family, with his mama. It was like, dude, just, he was the nicest person I've ever met. And he just opened up his house and his family. And like, he was just a great dude. He, he had an alligator farm or ran an alligator farm. He'd take me to go feed gators. He was just like, wow. he was the best. And so, uh, animal Dave, um, uh, in fact, he helped me catch my first fish ever. <laughs> and like, he's, he's the best. I got a 25 pound catfish wow. and he dove in and tackled the catfish because my line broke and like pulled it out. It's like, he's, I got so many stories about Dave, but so he said to me, he said, um, I'm going to do a horrible accent. He says, now Evan, the way, the way you talk about your old lady makes it seem like she's something special. Cause he just asked about like, what's going on with Jordan when you get married? And I was like, yeah, it is. And he goes, when you get married? And I said, I don't know. He's like, how long have you been together? And I was like, at this point it'd been five and a half years. It's been together about five and a half years. And he said, Evan, the way you talk about your old lady makes it seem like it's something special and you got to find someone in your life that sacrifices for you and you sacrifice for them and they put you first and you put them first. It sounds like you found it. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, what are you waiting on? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm waiting for money lined up because Evan, a year from now, you're going to have 10,000 more dollars in your pocket and 10,000 more to owe. And I was like, okay. And he said, and the fact that you talk about this girl, like, you know, she's so special and whatever. And you, you, she puts you first and you put her first. He said, let, let me tell you this. You're always going to see someone that's prettier, and you're always going to see someone with more money. But the grass is only greener on the other side because it's fertilizer bullshit. <laughs> and he goes, you got to go get yourself engaged. And within three months, I was on a beach in Hawaii proposing. Whoa. And the very first text, the very first picture went to Animal Dave. So he's <laughs> Animal like, Dave. Animal Dave. And dude, I, dude, he's got some freaking nuggets. So the other day I was talking to him on the phone. We always catch up once in a while. And he was texting me yesterday. We were, we're still very much in touch. Yeah. Forty three year old man or forty two year old man with three kids in Baton Rouge. Wow. Um, he he texted me and he said, um, we're on the phone and he said like he's like what's what's like how everything's going. I was like I'm trying to figure out the next thing. And he said, well, just you know wherever you feel like soaring is where you're gonna go. And I'm just like that shit. I'm just like bro, <laughs> bro. And he's like just he's like what? With that accent, and I was like yeah. I, it's so it's so simple. It's like where you are, there you be. It's yeah. like. Where you're headed is where you're gonna go. It's so simple, but yeah. so true. Yeah. And then he said to me, he's like, he's like, well, what's going on? And I was like, well, just like you know, everything's kind of stressful, and like I'm just dealing with all this bullshit and the job, and yep. I don't know if like this, you know, I need to figure out the next thing or what. And he said, well, you know, whenever you move the clouds, it always gets brighter. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, you cut the shit out of your life, you're gonna get happier. Oh my like, goodness, oh, the my facts, gosh. man. This guy. I know. So it's animal day. Uh, let's see the last, the last quick. The last one called. right here. You know what? I, I honestly, you had the first two prepared, and you've just shared so much that I've, I've just I gained so much from this. You know, okay, uh, um, do three. So you got to give me something. Okay. So the last one here that I'm gonna ask you: uh, three ways that you think you changed in the year that just passed. Oh, I've changed. Um, for better or for worse. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Here we go. I got married. Uh, changed my living situation. So now we're, now we're together. We got a little apartment. Uh, very, very old apartment on a very, very expensive street. Um, <laughs> people see the zip code and they freak out. Oh, yeah. Now two and oh, and they oh, go, man. okay. Oh. And it's like, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's equally as expensive here as it is in West Hollywood or right. Brentwood or Mid-City. It's like, it's just, we found an old apartment that opened up and right. we had signed the lease within 12 hours of it being listed. It's yep. simple as that. Um, the rent next door is 18,500 a month. Right. And then ours is nowhere near that. <laughs> like a 10th of that, not even a 10th of that. It's like, dude, it's, uh, it's 
Yeah. So people, steel. Yeah, people see the zip code and they freak out. Um, but it's lead paint. No right. heat. It's a, it's a real it's a real dream center. Right. The um so obviously got married, that changed. Number two, um I think I've I've found a more of myself value. Um mm. I feel like I often I'm I'm a my dad says I'm a golden retriever. I want to make sure everyone's happy. Yeah. And um I get upset when people are upset. Mm. And um man, like the whole I'm just like realizing that I'm worth more sometimes in how I'm being treated or how I'm being talked to or how I'm paid or whatever. And so uh, I think it's been great for me because I always question myself. Right. And uh, recently I've been like, I can do this. Yeah. And so that's been great. Um, it's only taken me, I don't know, 27 years yeah. to figure that out. But I, I think that I am worth a lot. Right. And um, and it's not cockiness. And I think it's just it's getting important. confidence, which Certainly. is great. Yeah. Uh, number three, how I've changed in this past year. Um, oh man, what is number three? Let me think. Um, I, I just think that I've, I've, I've realized more and I've realized this last year, but I realized more and more what's most important. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, especially in this business, you see people, uh, con constantly walking around and doing this and or uh, going to parties and going to events and networking and doing the, I mean, it's like whatever, everyone wants to get to the party and get into this and get into that and Golden Globes are in town. Got to go to the Golden Globes parties. Got to get into the Chateau. Like all these different things. Everyone's like hustling to go to the parties. And it's like, that's like, who cares? Yeah. And so like for me, like people ask like, like, what are you doing this weekend? It's like, to be honest with you, I'm going to be sitting on a couch eating ice cream, watching cops with my wife. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Watching that or watching reruns of Cheers, like that's yeah. it. And so, like, I mean, I'll wash my car, I'll do whatever, and like, you know, I still obviously, you know, you're not just laying in bed all day on Saturdays and Sundays. But when I get home at night, it's like, I don't know, like I, I just want to hang out with her yeah. and just hang out with my family and hang out with her family, and like, that's what's important to me. And so, uh, I think because I've always been very unimpressed with the business itself, uh, kind of going into it, very, very few people. Uh, uh, impress me and uh, the people that impress me are the driven ones and the people that you know it's like animal dave is like my favorite person in the world and it's a snake wrangler from baton rouge louisiana <laughs> right. was in sunshine louisiana yeah. and uh, uh jefferson parish and he's the best dude ever and it's like you think about that and it's like bro it's just animal dave like like you look at everybody and they want to like they find self-value and who they're around yeah um and it's like, dude, I could care less about, I don't know, the people that I've met if they don't, if they're not great people. And yeah. so like Animal Dave, it's my dude. Yeah. Uh, and there's like, a, there's like hundreds of people that like I've just, I've met and I've just like connected with and just like love and that are just not, their names don't carry a lot of weight, which yeah. is fine. And it's like. It's the value they bring as a human. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So. Amazing. That is. Hard Evan Arnold, man, what a what a pleasure it's been to uh, well, thank, to thank sit you for down interviewing here. me. It's very sweet of you to, oh, man. to, to listen to my shitty stories. My, man, shitty, far from <laughs> it, man. We, this is there's gems riddled in this uh, in this interview here. So thank you again for, for sitting down and chatting. Thank with you me. for having me. Of course, um, as always, I'm Chris, aka Chris, aka not Chris, aka the Thumbel Hemingway, aka Mr. Date Your Girl with you, aka bash me outside because I don't fight. I just get beat up, aka Little Poopy Dirt, aka Mr. Doctor Do Too Little. I'm with Evan Arnold. Thank you, everyone, for listening to High Top Flip Flops. As always, you can download this podcast on the iTunes podcast app, SoundCloud, and Google Play. 
Um, thank you again for joining me, Evan. Of course. Thank you for having me. Have Appreciate a great you. night, everyone. Take care. All right. Thanks.